Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obeltz. I am the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News, part of WBGH News. Today is Monday, May 29, 2023. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast is prepared by a team of 19 people, including Linnea Hubbard, who has the day off. It is Memorial Day in the United States. This is a day of remembrance for the service members of the United States Army. Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, Space Force, National Guard, and Air National Guard who gave their lives in defense of their nation. We'd also like to acknowledge the civilian members of the Women Air Force Service Pilots in the United States Civil Air Patrol who died while supporting the United States military in aircraft ferrying, training, and combat duty during World War II. Today's podcast will discuss why the illegitimate leader of Belarus, self-declared President Alexander Lukashenko, has finally been outplayed by Moscow and the occupation of Belarus by the Russian Federation is now just an excuse away. On May 16, Moscow insisted they destroyed the Patriot missile system defending Kyiv. Is it true? The world got their answer today. We'll discuss that. Finally, Russian state media has reported four incidents of rioters from the private military company Storm Z, representing dozens of Project K penal soldiers fleeing from the PMC created by Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu. This is in addition to almost 30 Russian soldiers including three officers who surrendered in Evdivka. What's going on? I will provide some assessment. Alexander Lukashenko is the illegitimate president of Belarus. We derisively call him uncool Lando Calrissian and the dark potato prince. Despite our derisive nicknames for the illegitimate leader of white Russia, that's what Belarus roughly translates to, he has been a shrewd leader in this uncool Lando Calrissian way, trying to stay one step ahead of Russian President Vladimir Darth Putin. But it appears that Lukashenko has been tempted by an offer that has probably sealed the fate of his country and the prospects of him continuing his leadership into an indefinite future. And I'm talking about nuclear weapons. In March 2023, Belarusian officials said that the tactical nuclear weapons that would be stored in their nation, the ones that Russia is going to provide, would be located in the western region of their country. It's highly unlikely that Belarus and the Russian Federation are building a new storage facility from scratch. Because of the timeline, by July 1, 2023, that would be very aggressive, and both nations are close to broke. Belarus is covered in Soviet-era military sites, and several are still in use today in various degrees of service. Visibility. The most promising existing site based on satellite image analysis is in Lida. It is the most secure of the four possible sites. The airbase is located just 33 kilometers from Lithuania and 74 kilometers from Poland. Satellite images show it to be the best maintained of four possible sites that could be repurposed, and Belarus's Su-25 aircraft are stationed there. Last year, the Russian Federation modified some of those Su-25s to be capable of delivering 
delivering tactical nuclear weapons. Launch authority will ultimately continue to lie in Moscow, and the United States has a very similar arrangement. For example, in Turkey, there are 40 to 50 nuclear weapons that are stationed there. The Turkish Air Force's member of NATO would be responsible for the delivery of those weapons, but the codes, the keys to use them lie with the United States. Now, Lukashenko is very excited, living up to his dark potato prince reputation of having these weapons stored in his nation. He said yesterday that any other country that would like to join the Union, they too can have Russian nukes stored in their country. One former Soviet republic has already rebuked that offer, saying, sorry, we think we'll be aligning ourselves with China long term. There are three other possible sites where Russian nukes could be stored, but none of them check all the boxes the way that Lita does, particularly having the aircraft that would be capable of delivering those weapons stationed at that base. This is what makes the most sense. However, the appeal of becoming a nuclear power, at least on paper, just proved to be too much of a piece of bait for Lukashenko. This is why he has made a fatal mistake in his ongoing efforts to keep Belarus out of direct involvement in the Russian Ukraine war that is committing his troops and tanks and aircraft to ground combat and air combat in Ukraine, as well as maintaining Belarus at least as a rump state and not being inhaled into the Russian Federation. Once those weapons are stored in Belarus, the Kremlin only needs an excuse to claim their stockpile is threatened. If there is a populist uprising against the dark potato prince Lukashenko, nuclear weapons are threatened. If Lukashenko is assassinated or dies unexpectedly, nuclear weapons are threatened. If Lukashenko suddenly tries to pull away from the Kremlin because he realized this deal keeps getting worse all the time, to quote Lando Calrissian, nuclear weapons are threatened. Russia not only has an excuse to <clears throat> excuse me, protect the world from nuclear terrorism, but an excuse to march straight across Belarus to the Lithuanian and Polish border. What's the fastest land route to Lida from Smolensk? It conveniently passes right through the Belarusian capital of Minsk. There really isn't a scenario where there would be any legitimate concern. The codes to use the weapons are at the Kremlin, and short of a true threat of annihilation to Russia, they will never, ever give those codes to Lukashenko and his military, just as the United States would never give the codes to the 50-ish weapons that are in Turkey, unless it was absolutely necessary. The absolute worst case scenario would be somebody breaks in, gets access to the core material, and uses them to try to fashion a dirty bomb. You don't need to play 3D chess to see the next move. After protecting these weapons, I say that doing air quotes, and occupying the capital of Minsk, Russia simply won't leave. Belarus may exist as a rump state on paper in that scenario, but white Russia will once again be part of the former imperial Russian borders. Lukashenko thought he got an ace. Instead, he pulled a joker. They're not going to leave afterwards if that scenario were to happen. Lukashenko has signed a bad deal, and it's only a matter of time.
On the evening of May 15-16, Russia launched a significant missile attack against Kyiv, including Iskandar-M short-range ballistic missiles and KH-47 Kinzhal hypersonic cruise missiles. Ukraine claimed that the Patriot air defense system provided by the United States intercepted both the ballistic and hypersonic missiles. The public latched onto a video that showed a flash on the horizon from one of the Patriot launchers, claiming that this was proof that the Patriot system was destroyed. The Patriot system is a distributed air defense solution where command and control, radar, and launchers are located in different areas spread out over several kilometers. By the nature of design, the radar system is the most vulnerable piece of that array. The video that people latched onto had been edited, being cut just after the white flash on the horizon. The unedited version of that video clearly shows that same battery continued to fire through the missile attack. Kiev and Washington said that a generator that supports one of the nodes of the Patriot system received minor damage from falling debris, that it was fixed on the spot, and the system never stopped operating during the May 15-16 missile attack. The Kremlin changed the story twice, first claiming the Patriot system was destroyed, and when the propagandists learned that it is a distributed air defense solution, they moved the goalposts, claiming the radar system and five launchers were destroyed, essentially disabling the battery. Some people latched on to the claim made by the website Military Watch magazine that not only was the Patriot system destroyed, but it fired its full inventory of air defense missiles completely in vain and did not hit a single target. Our analyst team, based on direct intelligence we received, maintained that the public reports of superficial damage from falling debris was accurate and the Patriot system was still fully operational. Today, we got our answer. That was Kiev earlier today. Those are school children who were moving to a bomb shelter down the street. There was the sound of that explosion. They started to screen and run in panic. Russia launched 11 Iskandar missiles today at Kiev in a daytime attack, including the Iskandar M, that's NATO designation SS 26 Stone, that's a short range ballistic missile, and the Iskandar K, with the K standing for winged cruise missile. The Iskandar K is a close relative to the KH 47. Kinzhal hypersonic missile. The missiles were launched at Kyiv, and Ukrainian air defense was 11 for 11. That boom that you heard was the Patriot air defense system. NASA fire information for resource systems management firms showed several thermal anomalies in the forested and remote areas northwest of Kyiv, as well as pictures and videos of some debris landing in the city. The only systems Ukraine has with the capability of intercepting these weapons are the Patriot and the SAMP-T. SAMP is not in Kyiv. We know which area that system is located, and we will honor Ukrainian operational security. So, the answer to the question, did Russia destroy the Patriot air defense system back on May 15th, 16th? The answer to that is no. Over the last week, Russian state media and separate reports has reported four desertions or rioters from Storm Z, which is a private military company that was formed by Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu. The desertions include 20 to 24 from Zvatov, 39 from Lyschansk, 
20 from Volnovaka, and 7 from Solodar. On May 28th, the general staff of the Armed Forces Ukraine claimed another 80 penal mercenaries with Storm Z in the Lyschansk operational area abandoned their positions at the forward line of friendly troops, the FLOT. They also claimed that 30 penal mercenaries with PMC Wagner Group deserted near Bakhmut. We can't verify these two new claims. Also in the past week, almost 30 Russian soldiers, including three officers, mass surrendered near Evdivka. It is the largest single surrender of regular Russian troops through the entire war. That can be independently verified. Now that we've talked about facts, let's go ahead and move to assessment. What is going on? We believe there are two issues. First, the Sergei Shoigu-created PMC Storm Z almost certainly lacks the discipline and brutality that PMC Wagner enforced on its penal mercenaries to keep them compliant. Initially, Storm Z penal units were to receive four weeks of training. That's been accelerated to 10 days, with some captured Storm Z mercenaries claiming they received only three days of training. If we look at the quality of training the Russian Ministry of Defense provides for its MOBICs, conscripts, and volunteers. It's very unlikely that Project K penal units are getting equal or better training. Corruption, poor training, and a lack of discipline with no non-commissioned officer corps to maintain a firm hand on convicts is creating these situations. Russian state media couldn't bury the four stories, those first four that I listed, because in all of those cases, they took their weapons. In one of those groups of defectors, officials of the self-declared Luhansk People's Republic claim the escapees from Lachance killed a second army corps military officer during their escape. There could be a second issue. On May 14, the Russian Ministry of Defense reported that two senior military officers were killed in Klishvika. One of them was a lieutenant colonel, a political officer, and the deputy commander of his unit, which was, according to the Russian Ministry of Defense, engaged in direct fighting on the line of conflict. Political officers and their troops serve to assure that Russian soldiers are adhering to the social and political standards of the Kremlin, and one of their functions is to serve as blocking units. Blocking units are used to find deserters and prevent troops on the line of conflict from retreating without orders. Discipline can include transfer to a penal unit. I know they're already in a penal unit, but they would go to one where they are just going to be used in a human wave attack torture, deprivation, incarceration, or in some cases, reportedly, they shoot their own troops. Remember, part of the September 21, 2022 partial mobilization decree was criminalizing the act of surrender, and it's punishable by up to 10 years in prison. That provision was challenged, and it moved through the Russian court system with the Russian Federation Supreme Court determining the provision, of course, is legal. If political officers are leading their blocking units in direct fighting against against Ukrainian troops, it indicates there was a lack of manpower, at least on May 14th, south of Bakhmut. The other force that's been assigned as blocking units is Chechen Akhmat. Akhmat hasn't played a major role in Ukraine since the fall of 2022, with their combat capability severely degraded in Severodonetsk and Lachansk in June of 2022. We've also seen Chechen Akhmat forces take a limited role in frontline fighting recently. For example, in Spirne, both Bilohorevkas and Vesele, the one that is close to Solodar. If the Russian Ministry of Defense is moving their block units to the front, then desertions are going to increase. Whether the reports of shooting of fleeing troops are accurate or not, there are less personnel tasked with preventing desertions and tracking down deserters. I want to emphasize that this is an assessment given the data that is available to us looking at the big 
picture, given the significant increase in the number of desertions and the large surrender that happened outside of Evdivka. It's been 16 months since Russia expanded its war of aggression on Ukraine, and many of the systemic problems within the Russian Ministry of Defense, they remain unaddressed. All is going to plan. I want to thank you for listening today. Linnea will be back tomorrow with a condensed version of our regular coverage as our analyst team is taking the day off in recognition of Memorial Day. If you enjoy our podcast and find it useful, please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our daily situation report, which includes additional information not covered in the podcast. That includes weather, soil moisture analysis, and tracking Russian and Ukrainian equipment losses by analyzing the Oryx database. Our patrons also get flash reports, which include breaking news and additional analysis. Patrons at the $10 a month or higher level also get access to a weekly question and answer session with members of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast team. We have a goal to reach 2,000 subscribers. We're about 57% of the way there. So consider being a patron and support independent journalism. My name is David Obelt, and I always close when I take the microphone. There's so much awful in the world. Please be good to each other. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.